Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to Space Floor NBA Podcast. My name is Connor Geelan. And I'm Connor Flattery. This is our 59th official episode. Today we're talking about The Last Dance again, episodes five and six. Dude, the, this is just so impressive. I, I'm outstanded every time I leave. I, I probably prefer this week a little bit less than the previous two, but every, every week I'm leaving my couch with a grin on my face. And I'm not even like a Jordan head, you know, yeah. um, just this week, it, it covered a bunch of topics, covered uh, Kobe and Jordan, the relationship for a few minutes. It talked about the dream team, talked about uh, like in, in the dream team, talked about like Jordan and uh, his relationship with Bird and Larry, talked about Tony Kukoc abuse, which we'll get to. That, that was hilarious. <laughs> um, MJ versus the Knicks, his gambling addiction, his fame, and his his desire to quit. And it, it talks about his second and third rings versus the Trailblazers and versus the Suns, respectively. I'm really excited. Let's get into it. Let's talk about Kobe first. Yeah. Uh, this was it was really cool. A little bit emotional on my couch. I'm of not course. sure you were the course. same. Um, I, I don't know. I, w- I wasn't like I, it was so it was so lighthearted that it didn't feel that it was like a crying moment or anything like that. Like I wasn't, I, it was sentimental. It wasn't, it wasn't like heart wrenching. It more put a smile on my face the whole time seeing MJ and Kobe uh, sort of compared and, and like talking, to, I mean, diving into the relationship and, and especially the moment where, where he called MJ, his older brother. Right. And that was the moment I think that everybody will remember from episodes five and six, because uh, there's something a little bit special about this is only a few months after Kobe's passing and, and, and now we're seeing him. And I mean, it's really a documentary about his mentor and his, and his idol and his role model, but to see him in this moment praising him was really something special. Yeah. And the thing that stood out to me, I saw this on the internet as well, but I, I thought it first just in my own head before seeing anything that, they are so similar, not, uh, obviously, not, in, not in, even in, like, their play, in the way they speak, in the way they sit, in the way they tell jokes, in the way they form sentences. I, I can't describe it other than that. It's that they'll, they'll come at you, but they'll kind of mess with you, but they'll do it in a joking manner, but they kind of mean it a little bit. They, it, it just, it, it's intense, yet it's, you feel like they are super big, not even because they're Kobe and Michael Jordan, just like the confidence that they exude yet being kind of chill about it. It was just, I could connect the two. And that, that's what really stood out to me when I was sitting down and watching Kobe just speak about, about his guy. We'll definitely get into Michael Jordan talking about what eventually led him to retire, right? And that was a really big part of this is him dealing with fame. But it stands out to me that that Kobe Bryant 
is a little bit more warm and fuzzy than Mike. That's, that's the one thing that I would say doesn't totally match up between those two. And, and that comparison is I think that Kobe never for a second seemed like he wasn't having the best time of his life playing basketball. Right. And when, when Kobe Absolutely. retired, it was right off of him dropping 60 points. It felt like when Kobe retired, he was having as much fun as he'd ever had. And Michael Jordan, you compare that to Michael Jordan, it almost felt like he was retiring because he just didn't like playing anymore. And he was doing it, but just because like, he doesn't need to keep making money. And so at least what he was saying was, wasn't because the NBA like secretly suspended him for some gambling addiction, as some conspiracy theorists will point out. As, as you know, as an idea, it was just because he was tired of the game and the, the person that the media was making him out to be and all these different things. So Kobe, even, even more than MJ, I think is captivating to me because of the passion that he shows about the game of basketball, unwavering, right? They both have a competitive edge that I don't think any sportsman or woman ever has matched, um, that at least that I know of. Um, like a twinkle in the eye, I guess, is the way I phrased it before. There's something that there's like stands out about them and, and, and that you know they have a drive that just is unmatched. Um, work ethic, will to win, competitive nature, all of it. Um, but I think that Kobe has a little bit something special and, and a little bit something that, for example, I don't, I mean, this is a kind of a little bit of a messed up comparison, but I think even if the reason that the NBA community united so much around Kobe Bryant's death even more than they would have around Michael Jordan's is because Kobe Bryant, no matter if you loved him or you hated him, he embodied what it meant to love the game of basketball in a way that I don't think Michael Jordan quite does. Um, it's a little bit of a tangent and for something about a Michael Jordan documentary, but I, I, I really thought it was special. Not only, I mean, I, that's sort of my thoughts about the MJ versus Kobe comparisons that have come out of this episode um, and I guess sort of my lingering thoughts after Kobe's passing, but I don't know. I, I almost give the edge to Kobe in terms of his like basketball persona. Uh, if yeah. we're going to talk about, I think he's, I think he's more likable. Exactly. I don't know if he's I, more, he, uh, he obviously wasn't more like marketable, I guess. Cause no, Jordan is because Jordan, Jordan brand, Jordan but. made the NBA. He made Nike. He did all of it. He made the game of basketball into what it is today in a way that Kobe nor any basketball player ever will be able to match. But I, I, I agree with you in that I, I took that point too. When Kobe died and I was just like in shock, like mm-hmm. I, and my, my uncle called me because he knew I'm a basketball or whatever. And he, he like knows what's up. And, and I was like, it's, it's worse than if it was Jordan. And he was like, and he, he's like an old head. He grew up and was watching Jordan. He was like, it's absolutely worse than Jordan. You know? Yeah. And I, I think that's a little bit, I, I feel, I feel bad saying that it doesn't <laughs> feel right. Comparing like how you would react yeah. to people dying. That's a little bit messed up, but, but truthfully, I, I think it says a lot about Kobe Bryant and, and it's part of the reason that people were so excited for this episode or this specific segment um, is because I, uh, in a way that I don't think Michael Jordan ever quite will, no matter how big of a personality he was or how exciting he was to watch Kobe, you can't help but feel happy when you see Kobe talk or see anything about Kobe. I don't know if I always watching Michael Jordan dunk, watching Michael Jordan school people on the court makes me feel happy, 
watching Michael Jordan talk doesn't always make me feel that happy or captivated in the same way. They have a lot of the same mannerisms, but I don't, it's not the same as, as Kobe to me. Yeah. I think Kobe's more charismatic. And also think about it. We're, we've grew up watching a, a guy who's 40 versus a guy who's like, I don't know how old Jordan is like 55 or something like that. Mm -hmm. 50. Um, So I feel like there's a little bit of a difference there. And also retirement hasn't been as good to Jordan maybe as it has been to Kobe in this few years of of retirement. Um, Cause I remember you, you saying in the first episode um, I'm like, you, you were like, Oh yeah, I'm curious to see prime Jordan. Cause all we see is this like slightly overweight dude who's like, I can't really picture willing willing on your best player, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree. I also, the obvious thing is like, Oh yeah, their, their games are similar, but seeing Kobe lay out why their games are similar and why Kobe derives from MJ was very fulfilling and it was very gratifying. And obviously like, it's like, Oh yeah, Kobe got advice from MJ. He, he asked him about his turnaround jumper. But the biggest thing for me, just the the coolest part, I'm like, okay, this is this is why this documentary exists, is seeing the behind the scene footage before the All Star Game of the Eastern Conference locker room, and they're all just sitting around. And it's like, yo, you see that young kid from LA? And it's like, I was like, oh yeah, who, who, who that, that that baby from LA? It's like, oh yeah, he takes like so many shots or whatever. They like, they don't even mention his name until like the fourth, the fourth, um, like interactions like oh who kobe so it's like i i want to be like dude like kobe's kobe like you don't know it yet yeah um but yeah that was just super cool to see because they they were like breaking down what other superstars would think of kobe bryant who was like 23 at the time Mm. you know that was that was my favorite part i i liked uh, i honestly one of the things that i wish was different about these five episodes five and six i wish they had spent more time on kobe um Maybe there's not enough footage or not enough to talk about, but I feel like you could have searched it out more. And I get that it's a Michael Jordan documentary, but I think there's more to say even within just the relationship between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant to talk about. I just felt that it was it was, it was over almost before it started. And, and given the recent events, yeah, that is the most is is going to be one of the most memorable parts of this documentary. Yeah, but or it's going to know. be one of the most. Yeah, uh, I guess. It, they probably had finished it most or, or basically done with it before, before that happened. But if you could go back and change it, I think you give that a little bit more weight because in the mind of anybody who's watching that, when you see at the beginning of the, of the whole documentary, the whole airing last night, it says in loving memory of Kobe Bryant. And then there's only like 10 or 15 minutes out of a 20 or out of a two hour thing about Kobe Bryant. It felt a little bit, too brief to me. I was, I was yeah. like, okay, like I want to see it keep going. Because yeah, I'm pretty sure there was like a like I think it was either AI or Dwayne Wade who tweeted out it's like it's like only 10 minutes of Kobe or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like everyone definitely wanted more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and but but at the same time, like you said, I think you called it fulfilling, gratifying, whatever. Watching Kobe explain sort of the hardships of his early years and then how Michael Jordan helped him turn that around and how he would not have been the player that we know as Kobe Bryant without the help of Michael Jordan, that was something special as well. Um, Because as much as they're going to talk about throughout this documentary, 
including even later in the next episode when Michael Jordan's like, I wish I'd never become a role model, essentially. But we'll get to that quote. That's pretty deep. Um, I like he had an impact on, on Kobe Bryant, who became one of the greatest players of all time. That is like invaluable. Um, and and just through Kobe alone, Michael Jordan left a mark on the game of basketball. That is like beyond words, right. Is, is, is massive. Um, so, so Michael Jordan's, I, I guess that, that really sunk in for me. And I knew that it was like, okay, Michael, uh, Kobe idolized Michael Jordan, took his moves, you know, mentored him, whatever. But, but it was like the older brother comparison, the, I wouldn't have won five championships without Michael Jordan. It wasn't just, no, like I borrowed from Michael Jordan. He influenced me a little bit. No, he's like, I, everything you see in my game is a reflection of MJ. Class that was act. something special. That was something special. Yeah, that was really and, cool. And so then he he wanted to say essentially like he didn't like people comparing him to Michael Jordan in terms of people saying like you would win in one v one or who would win one v one or you know who's better, which I kind of like. At the end of the day, I think as an as an NBA community as a fan base, we spend a lot of time talking and comparing um, the greats. At the end of the day, it's nice every once in a while to just appreciate Kobe for the player that he was, appreciate Michael Jordan for the player he was, how they both changed the game, how great they were in their respective eras. And it doesn't have to be about who would win 1v1 because at the end of the day, that's not something that's ever going to happen. Yeah, people don't like to just sit back and appreciate greatness. Yeah. You know, but they should. Um, Yeah. And I think that's good perspective. Honestly, I think if you would ask other people in that conversation like MJ or whatever, or, or LeBron, like I'm pretty sure they would have that same perspective. You know, if, if not for a genuine belief, then at least for like, I'm tired of this. Like hmm. he's right. Like he's never going to get solved, but I like that about Kobe. And I thought just in general, I wish we got more, but the, the few minutes that we did get were very, very well executed, you know? Mm, agreed. Um, so just shifting gears completely let's talk about the dream team this might have been my favorite part just because i got to see people that i only see for their accolades and only see for their basketball reference page i.e charles barkley carl malone even magic johnson and larry bird i saw them walking down a street and laughing with each other which is something as a 17 year old, I've never seen in my life, except for on TNT. I've never seen it when they're in their prime. You know, I never saw them joking around with each other. And I'm like, oh, okay. So these aren't just images of uh, on, on a stats page, you know? Um, because I think as like, I consider like us like well-versed on, on NBA stuff. So as, as well-versed as we are, like we didn't experience it, you know? Um, so I think my favorite part of seeing the dream team was they did a decent job. I feel like they could have done a, a, a more in-depth analysis, but they did a decent job of getting the character of, of the players at not just like they were so good, just like, Oh, here's the dynamic. They, they stayed up playing cards late at night. Uh, here's a, here's a video of bird magic and, and Jordan joking as they're taking a photo 
uh, here, here's their practice, here's footage of the practice, here's their dialogue during the practice. Um, so that's, that's something I've never seen. One thing that I thought they did well for the dream team, um, uh, for the stream team segment is they very easily could have made this like a one episode documentary about the dream team. Um, but they very much kept it as Michael Jordan. And one part of this career is the dream team, right? It was a Michael Jordan documentary, even when they were talking about the dream team, because, and, and the reason I say that as interesting as the dream team is, is that there are probably other ESPN 30 for 30s at the dream team. There are other documentaries out there. There's all kinds of other media and coverage and books and whatever about the dream team. But to see just specifically those stories where it's like Magic Johnson and Charles Barkley piss Jordan off in practice. And then Jordan, you know, scores, he goes from down eight to up two, right. And just totally turns the game around. They go back on the bus and Magic says, guess we shouldn't have pissed him off. And then the whole bus erupts, right. And says it's the best practice ever. Uh, so like those little anecdotes, I think they did a good job of keeping it, even though it was about the dream team, you could have very easily gotten lost in the Carl Malone in the Christian Leitner coming from Duke and playing with these NBA greats in like, there's a thousand different storylines you could have gone to even yeah. within the dream team. They kept it about Michael Jordan, which I think, I think was well done um, because at the end of the day, this is called the last dance and it's all working towards the storyline of the 1970, 1997, 1998 season. And they didn't get sidetracked by the events of 1992. Yeah, and I, th I think a little bit, they, they did a good job of not getting too bogged down in the physics, but they had this, like, sort of big picture 20 seconds where, I forget who it was, but someone was like, the 1992 Dream Team shifted everything for the image of Michael Jordan, shifted and, and shifted everything for the image of the NBA. Because before that, like, like foreign people would would see u.s basketball and be like oh yeah they're they're good they're they're college players they're good like they wouldn't like know the disparity they would just be like okay that's what american basketball is but like then seeing just like jordan like yam on the guy or just like like seeing something like that like and jordan was like the alpha and he was like you know there was a quote it's like like you see this like like handsome confident swaggy dude i don't think i use the word swaggy but swaggy dude and you're just like, oh my God, he's, he's the man. Like he's the man. I, I want to buy his shoes. I, I want to buy his, his merch. I want to do just, I want to be like Mike, you know? Um, so that, that was the thing that came across the dream team made Michael Jordan global. It made Nike global and it made the NBA global, which, which I appreciate a lot. Um, because before I always talk about like the globalization of the NBA, but, I never, I did, I I couldn't pinpoint the dream team as that as that shifting point, which was good. Nice. I, I I also, I think that one of the biggest points I took away from the dream team was, um, it was a sort of a turning point as well. Not only in the globalization of the game and in how widespread it was in the image of Michael Jordan and the in the NBA, but it was a turning point in that it went from Magic and Larry's league to to Jordan's league without a shadow of a doubt, without question. You saw at the beginning of the, of the um, sort of dream team segment, Magic Johnson was saying something like, yeah, that's right. Like these young, these young boys all got to listen to me. 
And, and by the end, pretty quickly, it became clear, like, sure, they might listen to you, but they're going to, but who's taking the shot at the, uh, who's taking the last shot of the game? It's going to be Michael Jordan. And, and there's the time in practice where they're talking trash back and forth. They, the magic and Charles versus MJ. And, and, and if you weren't like quite like, if you weren't paying super close attention, you might not have caught it, but he's saying, this is the nineties. This is the nineties. This is the nineties. He's calling magic Johnson old. He's saying yeah. you, the eighties were yours. The nineties are mine. That's what he was saying. And, and, Which is and so, dope as hell. I mean, he's claiming his decade. He's claiming the NBA as his own. And, and so it, it took him playing on the same team as other guys interna- like in international basketball to claim the NBA back home as his own league. But but that was the turning point, not him winning his first championship or his second. No, it was, it was the dream team. So that was cool. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what was your thoughts on the whole no Isaiah Thomas situation? I don't, I don't totally buy that. It was like Michael Jordan didn't factor in, into it at all. Um, even I don't if think it, that's what they're claiming. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Okay. But I, my point is even if, even if Michael Jordan didn't say a word about Isaiah Thomas, which I don't know if I do, if I believe they could have just not taken Isaiah Thomas because the first thought that came into Michael Jordan's head when he, when he, when he was saying they asked him to play and he's thinking, so first he thinks is Isaiah Thomas going to play? So the response is the person who you're thinking about isn't going to play. And so I was thinking like, Oh, that means like they're saying magic's not going to play because of HIV AIDS. Like, I was like, okay, so like, who are they talking about? No, 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 they were talking about Isaiah Thomas. And so, uh, and so, I, like, I think, I think it was sort of an unspoken thing, maybe that you just weren't going to take Isaiah Thomas because that gives you a better chance of getting MJ. So I think without it ever having to be said, I don't think Michael Jordan ever had to throw that name out there. I think maybe he is telling the truth when he says that, but I'm not sure he would have played on the dream team if Isaiah Thomas was there. Um, so I think, I think it was very much influenced by Michael Jordan, even if Michael Jordan never said anything. But they also made a very good point, which was that Michael Jordan wasn't the only player with beef with Isaiah Thomas. He created his, – his persona as the, as the number one guy on the Bad Boys Pistons made him public enemy number one with Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, all of the above. You know, um, So I don't think it was just Jordan. I think he played a factor, um, I guess. And that – that stood out to me the like I, I was like okay yeah like Jordan and Isaiah don't like each other whatever that's that's a personal thing mm. but them extending it to the other player of the other top players in the league I was like oh it's it's about Isaiah which not that, just Jordan that, yeah 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 like like that's a like accusation I want to mean that um although I am mad about him for like setting Knicks back like five years as their GM <laughs> but but what I will say is he seems so warm and nice to, today. Oh, <laughs> like, I was going like, to say that. Yeah, I was like, like, I was like, what happened? Because <laughs> when he's doing the interview, he's got a smile on his face the whole time. If you see him on TV, man, he he's out here like he's he's just just the warmest, nicest he, guy. He seems so friendly. <laughs> yeah, I, and, I have the same. The, I, I think the same way. Uh, I, I'm sort of like, well, what happened? I, yeah. Yeah, I it was it was weird seeing him getting up in in other people's face with like like a little crazy in his eyes, you know. The truth is, he probably had a, a splash of black bomba in him himself, which was which is to say, like, 
you probably put her on a little bit of a different face to go play basketball. I, I don't think Isaiah Thomas was a bad guy in real life. I think it was just like to win basketball games. That's what he's going to do. Yeah. Which I respect like, him for. Patrick Beverly is not a bad guy. Yeah. He he's, probably he's is pretty annoying right? If you he's make, if you make Patrick Beverly a, a, a sports commentator, I, I bet he's not going to be rough around the edges as he is on the court. Yeah. Uh, and last thing about the dream team the Tony Kukoc thing was hilarious oh, because man. it was, yeah. it was like, I, I was watching like, like the first, like, like 30 minutes with my mom before she left. And, and she, she like, she doesn't know the entire situation. Right. But she knows mm-hmm. some, and she's watching and she's like, what is this? Like, like, that's so, that's so mean. And I was like, yeah, it kind of is, you know? Um, I feel like a, a lot of times when like you're, you're watching with someone who, like knows the basics but doesn't know the nuances like they 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 point out things that you just kind of take for granted and then just like oh wait no yeah you're right like that's blatantly like what are you doing yeah. jordan pippen like you're you're abusing this like i don't even know how old he was but you're, you're abusing this kid on on the global stage when he he doesn't know you and seeing the seeing the like the 50 year old tony coach like just narrating it's like i didn't know that um <laughs> Yeah, I, I was like, that was that was the moment that stood out for me. He was like, it made it seem like even today, Tony Kukoc still had some like PTSD or something. I, I yeah. use that I use that phrase lightly. Um, had some some lasting, I don't know, fright, I don't uh, anxiety around the whole yeah, situation because like, he still they, seems they seem, a little bit like they, they thrown off. They they seem fine now. Like Jordan was like, I love to, Tony Kukoc. He's awesome. But even in the clips, I remember there was a clip either this episode or the episode before. It's like, it's like he was like belittling, belittling Kukoc. He was like, Nah, man, you were in diapers when this was happening. Like, like mm, you don't, yeah. like you're nothing or something like that. And I was like, Okay. Well, it, it, Tony Kukoc went down as one of the better teammates Michael Jordan ever had, um, and so it was kind of funny to see that. I, I mean, I, I thought the way I interpreted it, and maybe I'm, I was wrong, maybe I, I didn't see the same thing you saw, but as, as I was watching, I kind of thought it was like, Tony Kukoc was like, yeah, okay, so like we went on to become like great friends, great teammates, whatever, but like in that moment, he seemed he seemed to be saying like Michael Jordan's guy were like totally out of place, out of line, they still don't understand why they did it. Um, not only they didn't know them at the time, but that it was like, just a little bit like unjustified um even in hindsight yeah, yeah like before the game jordan Pippen like okay we we are guarding him the entire game like well, no one else pick him up and i think that this made a good like connection of the dots and it's why they pointed out the jerry Krause stuff so early on i i was a little bit shaky on that in the first episode i i still think the first episode is the best so far because they kind of gave away a lot of where everything ends up in the 1997 1998 season in terms of like Scotty Pippen's pissed about the contract. Jerry Krause is like wants Phil Jackson out. They kind of set the stage for the whole season in the first cut two episodes. And they're still getting to like, how did we get there? Which I think is interesting. Um, Would it have been better as like, you just don't give it away from the beginning and you see how you get there? Maybe. But I'm understanding now why they did that because they then here connect the dots as, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen did that just to piss off Jerry Krause, just because this underlying Jerry Krause beef that they have was it was existing all the way through. 
Yeah, there if was they, uh, if they didn't it, show that from the beginning, you probably wouldn't have caught that. Yeah, like like later was it the it was the Sun series, which we'll get to. It was uh, like there, there was a wing defender on the Suns. I forget who it was. I don't think it was Danny Ainge. Um, it was uh, Dan Marley. Or I, okay, I, I, I forget. I, I think that's how you pronounce it, Dan Marley. Okay. Dan Marley and and Jordan's like, oh, Jerry Krause was thinking of like acquiring him because he thinks he's like a good defender. Okay, I'm gonna like go go get forty on him, you know, uh, just because of that relationship. So I, I agree. I think that was set up well. Moving on to the Knicks, because I know you want to talk about the Knicks, because I want to talk about the Knicks. Go Knicks. Um, this was interesting because as a Knicks fan who has only heard about the glory days and has never seen the glory days, the glory days being – this is a kind of a sad glory day. It's getting to the finals twice in the 90s and then just, like, not really doing much else. Um, I mean, unless you can't – 70s we went to championships yeah that's yeah, even that's, that's like glory days for our parents so yeah <laughs> yeah so that was fun to see because I, I felt like I got a little bit more character of that next team but it was still through the lens of Michael Jordan and there were there was a quote uh and that has gone semi-viral for for its meme ability on the on on the on the internet where it was like oh the the New York Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals were the, were the biggest threat to the Jordan Bulls that year. And then, you know, you know the meme of, like, of where, where it's the banners in the garden and it's, like, it's like 1973 World Championship. And then it's, like, I saw the you repost that. Yeah. Dude, that's, I love that so much. Um, in, our, in our Raptors that called the biggest threat in the last dance. Yeah, that's, that's where you got to put all those banners. That's, that's awesome. one of our banners. Um, so yeah, I just thought we would mention that quick. That was cool. They talked about how they had their own like mini Jordan rules. I don't think they marketed as that, but I guess that was just the straps. And the painful thing was we were up two zero, and then they four owed us. I think, or maybe they four one us. But that we were. How can they if we were up two zero? We were, oh, we were oh, up 2-0. oh, they yeah. won four straight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I see what you're, what you're saying. I did, I just didn't realize that we were like that close. Like that reminded me of like, oh yeah, when the Bucks this this past year, they they were they were up to zero, and then the Raptors is stormed mm-hmm. back out of nowhere, you know. So I just I felt like we had to mention that just as a homage to future successes and failures, and because we already talked about how Isaiah Thomas, another person in this series, ruined the Knicks. So I guess Jordan also ruined the Knicks. To be honest, when they were when they were talking about okay, what's the biggest threat to the to the Bulls? I might have missed if they said Eastern Conference. I was waiting for them to say the Utah Jazz. I thought that's what they were going to say. Um, and and that's I probably have my time. I probably have my time frame off. As in, like that was probably Jordan comes back for a second three peat. Um, so when but when they said New York Knicks, I was surprised, excited, felt all the emotions. Um, I, I didn't really so know that. I, I remember I, we talked about before the game. Was was I was like, was that the series that John Starks choked? No, that was the game seven of the finals against the Houston Rockets. And so I was aware yeah, of that yeah. series. I wasn't really fully aware that we were like in the Eastern Conference Finals as the biggest threat to Michael Jordan's up to a like three peat. Yeah, like when we I, we probably would have beat the Suns. So as a Knicks fan, that's a that's a blip in our history that I. I actually don't even really know that well um 
I don't know. I don't, I don't think Knicks fans talk all that much about our history because there's generally not that much of it to be proud of. It's very true. Um, we just but, talk more about like the Mecca, but we don't, we don't. I mean, even there's, there's things to say about John Starks, but after that choke job, I don't think people really want to talk about John Starks in New York. Um, you could talk about Patrick Ewing, but I don't know, like people recognize like Patrick Ewing was great. Didn't bring his championship. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was happy to see my Knicks there. A little bit surprised, um, but I thought that was interesting. They they tried yeah. to they tried to sort of frame themselves as the bad boys. They tried to like make the Bulls the bad boys Pistons and the Knicks the new Bulls. I thought that was an interesting comparison. Um, I wish the Knicks worked out. Was, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> didn't yeah. work out, but uh, it was yeah. Again, on to the next topic: Jordan's gambling addiction, as they, yeah. as they phrased it. With there was constant air quotes over the word addiction. What just to break this down for me? What what were your active thoughts? Um, this was something that I was very aware of and kind of waiting for them to talk about um, because it's one of the biggest sort of stains or um, like lasting caveats on on Michael Jordan's career is that he was here and that he retired and it was maybe because of this gambling problem, right? Or that he could have lost a couple of games. But I, I forget what game it was, but he was out in Atlantic City. Um, against the Knicks. And then he I, won the next day. But yeah, so I knew, so I knew like here and there, it comes up this gambling problem. I knew about that, uh, that, that $57,000 check that um, he received from, from like a money launderer, um, guy who was involved in, in some drug cartels, something like that. Um, so, so I was, I was vaguely aware of a lot of that. Um, what I didn't really realize was that, that, that image that the media was painting of him trying to sort of knock him off his pedestal when he was at the peak, um, almost that could have been the thing that drove him out of, out of basketball. I thought, I thought when he retired for the first time that either it was just because he wanted to go play baseball or because the league essentially said, you got to figure out this gambling thing. And so we're sort of like suspending you. That's, that's a conspiracy theory I mentioned earlier. I know Mike Corzamba made a video about that a couple of years ago and I watched that. And so I, so that's always sort of been a thing in the back of my mind. Um, the glory days. Exactly. Um, but this is, they presented a pretty convincing idea, which is that no, it was, it wasn't, his gambling addiction and the NBA suspending him because David Stern actually said, no, we're not going to give Michael Jordan any consequences for that. We don't think that there's, he's not breaking any laws. So cool. Good for him. You can do whatever he wants to. Um, yeah. It seemed, it seemed very sincere. Like, like during the all-star game, he was like, we hope you come back next year. Yeah. And people use that as a piece of evidence is like, would they really give him no consequences? I, I guess so. I mean, I buy that they gave him no consequences. He was the face of the NBA. Um, so I actually, after watching this, my mind has sort of changed. I think that it actually might have been just that the, the, the I, I didn't even really know that there was a time when the media was trying to knock Michael Jordan down. I guess I didn't even really think of that because yeah, no we see that, talks about that anymore. We see that all the time with like LeBron James today. But I mean, there was a point in in Michael Jordan's career where the same way that LeBron James was a heat, was a, was the villain for the heat or something like that. You know, 
in, in sort of a similar way, people were trying to say or trying to discredit Michael Jordan for all of his greatness. Um, and, and so I think that, 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 that's a, that makes sense to me. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like if you gave me the option after watching this to be famous, right. I might be like, no, I'm good. Like, I don't think I, I don't know if I want to be famous because we're definitely not Michael Jordan famous. If one or two people recognize me and they're like, Hey, you're that guy that does the space, the foreign Bay podcast. That's cool. Yeah. If you see us, if you see us come say hi, that would be actually be interesting. All right. That'd be cool. But I don't know this, like, this image that the media tried to tried to make of him and the way that they tried to sort of tear him down. I, I buy that as that would drive him away from the game of basketball and make this thing that he worked basically his whole life for all of a sudden, not that interesting. Although I have to play devil's advocate because one of my least favorite things in the basketball community are not, not the Jordan is the goat people, but Jordan is God and he never made a mistake ever and he's just the best person to ever walk the planet and no one can ever surpass him ever 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 that's that's one of my least favorite people he wasn't perfect yeah I will say that a narrative for LeBron James maybe just by Skip Bayless but maybe by other people is that he's mentally weak and I'm like I was watching this and I thought about I was like okay well they're calling LeBron James weak. Meanwhile, he's not the one retiring because he's being criticized and he's mentally tired. Cause there was a quote from Jordan and it was like, by that time I was becoming physically tired, but by, but by that time I was way past mentally tired. And so like, I'm, I'm not penalizing him at all. Like I can never do what he does, but I just like a little bit credit for LeBron James or just try to back off of the, the dissing of LeBron James we see like KD deleted social media like this was this was before social media before the before Jordan didn't have to buy a newspaper to see what people were saying bad about him you know like like LeBron can do that on his phone KD can do that on his phone you know so I feel like that's why a little bit you're seeing more of the common star caliber players like Kevin Love like DeMar DeRozan not just like the best player in the league talk about like Mental like, health. Yeah, mental health. Not not even mental health, just like I guess just condition and like happiness, you know. Um mm. so that's just I wanted to give a little bit of a shout out to LeBron James. Even though I'm not like a LeBron James stan. I feel like some people might think that. I, I just want to give him some credit because Skip Bayless can be like, okay, he's not he's not mentally all there compared to Jordan, who is the most powerful psychological player of all time. Like okay, well, LeBron's on year seventeen, still going. So, if the media does affect him, you would never know. But exactly, and he didn't take a two-week hiatus where he just didn't talk to the media, and then all of a sudden comes crawling back to a Madrashad. Um, but I, I guess on the point of 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 mental strength or mental weakness, the I don't I don't really know whether to. I see two sides to it because. I think that actually your point is very good about he's mentally weak and that he almost couldn't deal with the media or, or that he sort of collapsed at some point under the pressure. Now, could I handle that pressure? I don't know. Um, but clearly when we're comparing him to LeBron James in the GOAT conversation, I'm not sure you can use Michael Jordan's mental fortitude as a point 
given this context, uh, which I think is what you said. And I think that that's very well put. Um, the, the, the other side of it, the flip side for his mental strength is that if this is a, not a gambling addiction, but a competition addiction, as he put it, um, then he is one of the strongest, he's got one of the strongest mentalities and drives ever. Um, as in, if he's that addicted to competing that he's like, uh, he's not, he's like, okay, I'll go play the $1 hand at the front of the plane instead of the, you know, $1,000 hand at the back of the plane, just so I can show up um, and win John yeah. Paxson instead of Ron Harper or whatever, it just, just so we can have his money. There's something to be said there um, and his trash talk, all of it, it, on the court, his competitiveness unmatched. Maybe it's, just that, maybe it's just that he didn't have that competitive nature with the media. I, I don't know. But but you make a good point, which is that for somebody who is hyped up to have this crazy competitive mentality and be so strong mentally, we see players with similar clout and in the social media age, arguably more eyes on them. And it's even harder to escape the spotlight. Um who are handling it better the the, yeah. the, the and, media that is and just diving deeper into another aspect of jordan's i guess more so like character there was there was a quote i'm paraphrasing here but he was he was basically like if i could do it all over again i wouldn't be a role model so this is more just i, I want to talk about this not for a goat discussion or whatever just talking about like this new side of a Jordan's character and this new side of his tiredness and his hyper fame that we got, we got a hold of because that when, when I saw that, I like, this is probably, I don't have any right to be doing this. He's his own person, but I was like, I judged him. I was like, really dude? Like, like you have a platform, you know? They came up in the politics thing too. When he said, uh, Republicans buy shoes too. In jest, he said. Um, I mean, that's sort of a theme that they brought up in in one of these two episodes. Was was I guess should he have used his platform, as you put it, um, his influence to speak out for what he believed in? In his responses, I didn't see myself as a social activist. I saw myself as a basketball player. Um, and then there on the other side, they, there was they showed a clip of somebody who said. Muhammad Ali speaks for what he believes in. And so Muhammad Ali will never be forgotten. Whereas no matter how good Michael Jordan is as a basketball player, he might quickly disappear in history because which is funny. He didn't spoke out. That hasn't been the case. <laughs> Michael Jordan is still more widely remembered than Muhammad Ali. But the question Honestly, is not so barely, much, you know, for, uh, you don't I guess see that. That's a fair. That's there's fair. no, there's no Nike boxing shoes that have turned their own brand worth, you know, a hundred billion dollars or whatever. Nike or Jordan is worth. It's to- I totally just made that number up off the top of my head. But um, uh, Jordan's impact, I think, is still greater than than Muhammad Ali. Now, I, I am a biased it's a different generation fan. Too. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, different, it's different. It's it's hard to compare the two, but. You can compare different sports, all of it. You can compare one, use their influence to stand up for what he believed in, to be a social rights activist, 
um, and, and Michael Jordan did not. He he sort of took a backseat on that and didn't use his voice for much other than his own financial gain. Yeah, and the I was I was talking with with Tommy and uh, our friend and he brought up a good point because I, I was kind of just like in jest being like, this is why LeBron's the goat or whatever. Cause like being a better person or being a worse person or do, or speaking out for something or not speaking out for something doesn't affect your basketball ability. So I was just kind of messing around. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like LeBron, like, like did the I promise school where Jordan uh, refused even when pressured to like, like support uh, the potential uh, first black Senator uh, against the, the the racist guy I forget his name um and he was like it, it's a privileged position to expect black athletes to support other black figures and I was like dude that's, that's facts but I I, w- I do still stick to my p- opinion and I think you agree that using not using your platform is worse than using your platform even if it's not for even if it's not for politics even beyond race or whatever just like saying i would rather not be a role model like i think being a role model is one of the freaking best things you can do in life you know just in terms of like impact like like just choosing to be like yeah i i don't want to have an impact on people like it it reflects badly on jordan because it makes it seem like if he really means that i don't want to be a role model thing then all of this was just to put some bank in his pocket. Yeah. All of it. Because if you take his, like Mike, exactly. If you just take his, if you take his game, his influence, his image, everything, subtract the role model part, you're left with one massive ad campaign left. Basically, you know, even if he, if he doesn't inspire Kobe Bryant, he's probably still got those uh, Jordan shoes, you know, now, the ad campaign, the role model thing goes hand in hand. People don't buy Jordan shoes if they if they don't consider Michael Jordan a role model. But I don't know. It it makes it sound, at least to me, like if he's not going to use his fame, his image for anything besides just playing the game of basketball. I mean, maybe just competitive, but it also seems like yeah, he wants to just make money. I Honestly, that's know. why that's why I like LeBron. Like nothing about LeBron's game stands out to me in terms of like like wow, like I wanna like yeah, like I prefer other players, but just him and Steph Curry are the two class acts, in my opinion. I'm sure there are others, but that dude, I'm not biased, which is not calling me biased. Uh, I, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because they just wouldn't put Steph Curry in the same like LeBron James category, but uh, 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 yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm laughing only because, of course, you would put Steph Curry in the same, you know, in the same conversation. I don't know, man. I, I feel James like that's like a. Jordan. I feel like that, that was a at least like during his MVP years when he was a golden boy. Like, I don't know. I feel like people reference that a lot. Like, I don't know. He's family man. Does stuff for the kids. I don't. I don't. I don't think he uses his image the same way a Le- LeBron James, a Muhammad Ali, a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did, though. Um, uh, and that's just me. Like, I don't know. I. Maybe I'm a little bit anti-Curry biased. He was the first, um, first team to not go to the White House in a while. That's fair. Um, would LeBron have done that if uh, if he'd he won did, the championship? But just after. 
uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, in that place, would he and have probably, done the same? I think yeah. so. Um, and was that really Curry's idea? Who knows? But uh, I don't know. I don't, this isn't this isn't me saying that I don't respect Curry for for everything he does off the court because I, I do think that you're right um, about about him, and I think he's a great example. But I and this isn't all. This also isn't supposed to be comparing Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Really, yeah. it's supposed to be appreciation of Michael Jordan. But it's important. Because there's one thing that I saw, which is that Michael Jordan agreed to do this documentary. He gave ESPN the rights like the day after the 2016 finals ended, or like the day after Michael. Or, scary, or the day after the LeBron ring some ceremony for LeBron James, right? So it was like as soon as LeBron James took that next step in his career, one step closer towards the ghost that played in Chicago. Um, that's when that's when Michael Jordan is like, okay, make a documentary about me, sure. So so I think that it's going to be interesting. It will be, continue to be interesting for the next two weeks and the next two episodes of the podcast that we do reacting to it is how does this affect our image or, or, or the image that we have of, of Michael Jordan? Because as it's gone on and as I reflect on it, it hasn't been just positive or just negative. And that's one of the things that I really like about this documentary is that there are a lot of things that make me like Michael Jordan a lot more. And there are a lot of things that make me like Michael Jordan, not a lot less. Um, and so I, I, I think, have, I think we both wanted to get what you just said. I wanted that when I turned it on, you know, it's it, it, this, this documentary, I don't think has a thesis statement. Isn't it's not trying to prove Michael Jordan is the goat. It is not trying to tell you Michael Jordan is this or Michael Jordan is that it's just like, the 1997-1998 season got interesting, was filled with drama. How did we get to that point? Well, here's, here's the course. And, and so maybe that is the thesis statement. I guess I mean that there is no thesis statement or nothing that the documentary is trying to prove about Michael Jordan's career as a whole or, or Michael Jordan's legacy. Um, it's not advocating for him for him being disrespected or being praised, right? It's just giving you the truth, I think. Um, and so that's one thing that I really appreciate about it um, is I think it gives you a full picture of Michael Jordan. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point. I think, I, I do think obviously they're going to portray Jordan in a slightly positive light, but I think most things Jordan does are in a positive light, you know, because he's, there's more positive than negative. Second goat, or yeah, uh, of more positive than negative. And yeah, yeah, and I think going forward we'll still see a little bit more negatives, which is good. A little bit more positive, which is good. Last thing I want to talk about really quick: they talk about the second and the and the third rings against the Blazers and the Suns, respectively. The first thing I noted is they did not spend that much time on the shrug. You know, mm. the the shrug against the Blazers, they they were just. I, I think th- it was good to have Magic Johnson do it because. He was the person that Jordan was shrugging at, which is, it's good to know that that's true, that that story is confirmed. But other than that, they were just kind of like, oh, yeah, Clyde was this guy, and then Jordan was just better, you know? They didn't, they didn't do enough to, I don't think, hype up the, the matchup between Michael Jordan and Clyde Drexler the way that the media did. Because part of the reason that Michael Jordan did the shrug and, and was looking at Magic Johnson and said to Magic Johnson, I'm better to like, tear this man up is because the media was trying to compare Michael Jordan and, and Clyde Drexler. And so 
I guess sort of an alternate story that I had heard was that when the media was trying to sort of hype up this matchup of the Trailblazers versus the Bulls, they said, okay, Michael Jordan is a better mid-range shooter. He attacks the basket better. But yeah. Clyde Drexler is a better three-point shooter. He takes I heard he that shoots a higher game. percentage on more attempts per game. And so the story I heard was that Michael Jordan, basically just to spite the media and just to prove everybody wrong, hit six threes and a half or whatever it was, and then shrugged as if to say, is he really a better three-point shooter? Can you really hype this matchup up? Yeah, that's the story um, I heard too. And, and so I, I thought that was the story until I heard the Magic Johnson one. I had heard this Magic Johnson one before, um, like probably a year ago or something. Like, but like until pretty recently, I thought that the, just that hyped up like matchup one and just Michael Jordan hitting the threes to make a point was the story. But I, I actually think maybe that I, I like heard that wrong or something because the consensus seems to be that, yeah, it was that card game where he, where he was telling magic, he was like, as in betting it on, on himself to magic Johnson and then backed it up. Side note. I don't know if you guys can hear this in the background, but it was, it was <laughs> seven o'clock and, and all of New York city, which is where I am right now is, is cheering for the, uh, for essential workers. So I just want to take that like 15 seconds to just say, thank you. Um, back to the Phoenix suns. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll probably still be in the background. Uh, back to the Phoenix Suns talking about the third ring that Jordan won. I thought th- that was one of my favorite parts of the documentary. I don't know, but I have in the notes here, we love Charles Barkley <laughs> because I've always found uh, whatever inside the NBA with, with Chuck, Chuck uh, Ernie and whatever that and Kenny, Kenny that yeah. And Kenny Smith that, it was always like kind of entertaining, but I found it a little bit stupid. Dude, I love Charles. He's just, he seems like, like he's not the smartest. He's not the brightest bulb, right? Yeah. But he is just, he seems like a gentle soul, but he's not afraid to speak out for what he believes either. You know, like I don't, I don't trust most of his basketball opinions, but hmm. seeing him talk from the heart about it's like, that was, that was the first time I ever thought someone was better than me. Or I, or I stayed on last night for when he interviewed with Scott Van Pelt. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't stay on, no. It was really nice. They, 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 were just, they were talking back and forth. Uh, he was talking about, like, the dynamic with the Dream Team was just so friendly, and they all got along so well. Uh, he, ta- he expanded a little bit more on the card game that they were playing late at night and how competitive Jordan was. And he was just like, it, w- it is such an honor to have played against Michael Jordan. I don't know if he said this. I don't know if he said this during the documentary afterwards, but it, there was a quote where it's like, "Sports is like a gunfight, and we lost yes. to the fastest draw. We lost to the fastest gun." And oh, so man. that that was just some like humility and appreciation. It didn't seem like like he was like backing down. It just seemed like he was appreciating greatness as much as we were, you know. So that stood out to me. I was just like, man, this guy's humble. Yeah. He's like speaks out for what he believes in, like what is it? strike dream on or whatever. But like, he, I don't know. It, it just, it's, it was very cool to just see him open up a little bit to see Charles being genuine Charles. And I loved it. I, I just want to say that. Uh, awesome point. I think, I think the best evidence so far, in my opinion for Michael Jordan and his greatness or Michael Jordan's greatness is those Charles Barkley quotes. Um, yeah. Or I don't, I, Charles Barkley is full of himself. No matter what way you spin it, he is 
too high on himself as a player. Um, for him to say that is the first time I ever realized that I wasn't the best player in the world. Okay, is, but is a no, little bit silly. But I'll guarantee you, most NBA players think that the they're a top three player in the league. When you're coming off the bench, Mo- most nobody... NBA stars. Okay, like All like right. if you, if you're if you're like. But there's a difference you're, between but there's a difference between saying that was the first time in my life I thought I wasn't the best player in the world. As in, he had just been playing on the dream team with Michael Jordan like the summer before or a year and a half before or whatever. He didn't at that point think that Michael Jordan was the best player in the world. He still thought he was. It wasn't until he lost to Michael Jordan in the finals that he thought, okay, Michael Jordan is the best player in the world. And, and so, so for him, that's, that's my point, I guess, is that if he was that full of himself to think that – every point in it, it, to think that up until that point he was the best player in the world um then for him to turn around and say okay you know what michael jordan was better than me at that point that i lost the fastest gun and, and so i don't even feel bad about that i mean that's something for for yeah. him basically to just admit defeat you you will never see charles Barkley do that with Shaq on tnt for example yeah they've been they like have this weird beef and they like bench press against each other and like do all kinds of segments like that. Um, that's the only yeah. time I've heard him back down and concede like that. Yeah. And they, they asked him on the, on the Scott Van Pelt interview and it was like, how often do you think about those finals? And he was like, I think about them a lot. So it's not like he's like rolling over and it's like, Oh, well that's it. Like it's not like he wasn't competitive. He was very competitive. But I, yeah, it just seemed very genuine. It seemed very happy for Michael Jordan. And on the interview afterwards, they were like, the only two people who you just feel like you're in the presence of God and they're just not human are Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods. And they're just head and shoulders above the rest of the field. And they're, they just exude greatness, which seemed very powerful. And I really like that. Tiger Woods. Shout yeah. out. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else to say? We cover everything I had. Yeah. Same here. I guess we'll wrap it up here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Space Floor NBA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. If you're, just, if you're listening on YouTube, like and subscribe. We really appreciate it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Space Floor Podcast and on Twitter at Space Floor. And thank you so much for watching. My name is Connor Geelan. And I'm Connor Flannery. And see you next time. Peace. Shout out to TNT inside the NBA.